Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Kicking with Cure here on Full Press Radio, episode number 94. Happy to be back with you once again. I'm your host, Ricky Keeler. I'm going to do a quick show today, right before we do our big football show, uh, before college football kicks off on Saturday. We've got some great guests lined up for that show, but I wanted to get in a quick show this week. We're going to talk about, of course, tonight's game between the New York Giants and the Washington football team. I'll give you my takeaways from week one of the NFL season. We'll also take a look at the USC head coaching vacancy and why the Trojans might have been a little bit too early to fire their head coach and what does it mean for their program uh, going forward. We'll also talk about some takeaways from last week in college football. And we will get into baseball. I'm not going to go into the pennant races today. I'm going to do it more over the weekend to kind of look at the weekend matchups and look at the week ahead. Uh, But a lot of excitement in both wildcard races coming up. But the big topic I want to get into today with baseball uh, is the debate around the American League MVP uh, between, I think it's really a two-horse race for that award between Shohei Otani and uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. I want to get into that and why I would go with the pick that everybody's not going with uh, and why that's the, why that would should be the case. One remind you can tweet me on Twitter, at Rickinator555. It's at R-I-C-K, letter I, Nader, like a Terminator 35. You can follow us on Twitter, at FP underscore coverage and at Full Press Radio. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You reach your podcast. Just search Kicking with Keyword. Chances are that's where you will find the show. Feel free to give a rating. Tell me what you like, what you don't like. You can email me, uh, rickjkeeler at gmail.com. Remember to download the full press coverage app. It is free. You get all of our articles, podcasts, live, show, uh, live shows, including FPC Radio Live and Don't and Raw Save Sports. Um, a lot of that is there. Some of it is free, so be sure to download the app today. So a big game tonight in the NFC East, and no, I'm not exaggerating that, because I think 
while both teams wouldn't be out with a, whoever loses game will not have their season be over because it's 17 weeks. You got to remember that as well. It's a big season changing moment for both of these teams. Uh, the New York Giants against the Washington football team. Both teams coming off a loss. You never want to start off 0-2. I know in 17 games, it's a little, your season's not over, but this game could change something. Uh, the Giants coming off a rough loss to Denver, which Daniel Jones' ball security issues continued. Saquon Barkley did not look right, although, to be fair, it was his first game coming off a torn ACL. Uh, but the Broncos just dominated the game from start to finish. And then you have the football team, where their defense didn't exactly have its best game. Didn't really pressure Justin Herbert. Chargers went on a big 15-play drive to end that game. And, of course, the injury to Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's out with the hip issue. He's not going to rehab that hip. I'm not going to have surgery with the hip. He's going to have rehab. So he is out for the next month and a half, two months. And that puts a lot of it on the pressure, on the shoulders of Taylor Heineke. Now, I would argue as somebody who took a took a gamble and made their dark horse Super Bowl pick in the NFC to beat the Washington football team, I think Taylor Heineke is better than Ryan Fitzpatrick. And you could tell clearly when Fitzpatrick left the game, Heineke was able to get the ball downfield to Terry McLaurin and to Logan Thomas. There was much more consistency with the offense. And back in the offseason, I wondered the same thing. Because Heineke played well in relief of Dwayne Haskins in Week 16 against Carolina last year. Played well in the wildcard game against Tampa Bay. So why wasn't Heineke more of a legitimate candidate to start? And you can also make the issue that this football team needs, really could have addressed the quarterback issue a little bit better, but they were kind of in no man's land. They had a late pick in the draft where they couldn't really get any of the quarterbacks barring a big trade-up, and maybe they should have took a gamble like Chicago did. They couldn't really get the big free agent quarterback this offseason. So they were kind of stuck in no man's land where like, we need a quarterback that's going to control the game, not turn the football over, and be consistent. Hard to find, but when you have Antonio Gibson at running back, you have McLaurin, you have Logan Thomas, Curtis Samuel's still out. I think that's a big issue for them. But I wouldn't panic off of one loss, especially against to a good Charger team and a Charger team that figured out how to make the big plays. I think third down was a big thing for Herbert. He completed passes to Keenan Allen, completed passes to Mike Williams, who's actually healthy, which is a good thing for that offense in Los Angeles. But I wouldn't panic. Now on the Giants' side, they are making some changes tonight. Uh, Kim Jones from the NFL Network was first to report that the Giants are changing things in their interior offensive line. Uh, they're going to have Billy Price start at center, and they're going to have a uh, really a mix-up on the offensive line. I think they desperately need that. This is a giant team that struggled to find consistency with the offensive line. They need to find protection for Daniel Jones. They're going to move uh, Gates to left guard. We've seen Nate Solder kind of struggle on the offensive line as well. Really hasn't lived up to that big contract the Giants gave him. And the question's going to be, can they get Saquon Barkley going in the backfield? Because the Giants need that balance. Right, Kenny Galladay is not exactly healthy. Daniel Jones hasn't been able to develop the chemistry with him as he's had with Sterling Shepard, who had a good game week one. Darius Slayton, Evan Ingram still not healthy. So how can this giant offense under Jason Garrett, which a lot of giant fans get mad at, develop that explosiveness, get to where the results match the talent? The one thing it has going for the Giants tonight is Daniel Jones has beaten Washington in all four matchups. That being said, you can argue in a lot of those games, Washington didn't exactly coach to win the game. There's two instances, I believe, where Washington, instead of going overtime, went for two. 
was old. Remember, there was the game with the whole debate over tanking for Chase Young. Washington's up getting Chase Young. The Giants don't get him. Maybe that's a factor tonight. And you could argue Washington kind of took the long-term approach in those kind of games. But nevertheless, Daniel Jones is still 4-0 against them. And I think this is a big pressure game for both teams. Maybe not so much for Joe Judge. Cause I think even if the Giants were to make a change, let's say a GM at the end of the year with Dave Gettleman, I think Judge would stay because I think they like the culture he's building there. Ron Rivera, I think they like, but they like the culture he's building there too. Considering where the Washington organization has been, Ron Rivera has been kind of a shining light for that team. But I think tonight's a bigger deal for the football team, and here's why. The Giants next week play the Falcons. Now, if you watch the Falcons play the Eagles last week, Atlanta was a train wreck after the opening drive. Atlanta gets Tampa this week. It's one of those flip-the-channel game of the week candidates. So the Giants, I think, even if they lose this week, they should be 1-2. and two. The football team, a little bit of a different story. Because if they were to lose this game tonight, they dropped 0-2, and, and week three, they played the Bills. And yes, the Bills lost to Pittsburgh last week, which we'll get into a little bit later. But that's still a really tough game for Washington to win. So after tonight, they get Buffalo. They have Atlanta like the Giants do. They do have them on the road, though. Then they get New Orleans, Kansas City, Green Bay, Denver, Tampa. By the way, the Packer game is on the road. The Denver game is on the road. They get the Saints and Chiefs at home. So to have that before the... You get Tampa after the bye, which helps. But this is a tough schedule. Playing Taylor Heineke, a quarterback, who, again, I think is better than Ryan Fitzpatrick. Maybe that's not saying much. I don't think he's light years better. But I think he's just a better downfield option. So this is a must-win for Washington tonight. I don't think it's a must-win for the Giants. I think it's a must-win locally, because being in New York, you see the pressure on the Giants. They think they've got to win this game. But I think it's more right for Washington, where you can get the pass rush going against a weak offensive line. Saquon's not 100% yet. That might happen toward the latter portion of the month. In the early October, you'll start to see Saquon develop. The Giants' offense will start to click a little more. Remember, the Giants' defense is still pretty good. I wouldn't read much in the last week. That was a rough week for Patrick Graham's bunch. They still have a really good secondary that being said, I'm going to go with the football team tonight. I think they win it like 20-17. to 17. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game, ugly, a lot of defense involved. I'm probably going to see a couple of turnovers between each side because Daniel Jones is known to turn the football over. Taylor Heineke is known to uh, turn the football over. But while it's not a big game for the Giants, I think it's a big, like a pressure game for the Giants. I think it's a big game for Daniel Jones. Sixth pick in the draft a couple years ago, a lot of pressure on his shoulders, and Something to keep in mind. The Giants have two first-round picks next year. The Bears pick, which right now looks to be a pretty good pick, considering how the Bears looked against, albeit the Rams, but how they looked in that first game last Sunday. And they have their own pick. And with maybe Aaron Rodgers available at the end of the year, Jameis Winston maybe available at the end of the year, potential to draft some of these top quarterbacks in the draft. Got like a Sam Howell, Spencer Rattler. Maybe the Giants want to use their draft capital to move up. Maybe there's a new GM in place if the season goes poorly. Daniel Jones in year three is fighting for his starting quarterback job. Maybe not this season. I don't think Mike Glennon's going to replace him or anything like that, barring injury, but fighting for his job long-term. And after tonight, Giants, like I said, have a somewhat of a favorable schedule. They play Atlanta. 
Uh, after that, they play. They have to go to New Orleans, which is tough. Going to Dallas, which Dallas's defense that could be a high-scoring game. Hosting the Rams, hosting the Panthers. The schedule is a little bit more favorable for the Giants than it is the football team. But I'm going to go Washington. I think Chase Young and, and Montez Sweat and that defense make wreak havoc tonight. I think the Giants' offensive line is going to be a little better, but I still think that those issues along that front are going to be difficult. I think Washington wins the battle in the trenches. And with these teams kind of even in offensive struggles, and this is where defense can play a factor. I trust Dustin Hopkins, a kicker, more than I trust Graham Gano. So give me the football team. Winning it by three. Going to be ugly, typical, your Thursday night sloppy football, which if it is, you favor the Washington defense. I think they find a way to win. So let's take our first break. We'll come back and we'll recap the rest of week one in the NFL. Teams that I thought stood out, teams disappointed. You'll get my thoughts, of course, on Mac Jones, being that I do root for the Patriots, so I will talk about that as well. And we're going to get at college football and baseball a little bit later. You'll listen to Kicking with Kiora here on Full Press Radio. We'll be right back after this. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talking about our week one takeaways here on this segment of Kicking with Keeler. Welcome back. I'm Ricky Keeler. Happy to be uh, with you once again as we, in our first segment, talked about tonight's week two Thursday night football game. So let's look back at week one and kind of what game stood out to me. And I think we have to start. I'm going to give, to do this, let's go with like my top three winners and then my top three losers. And then we can kind of give a summation of the rest of the week. My big winner of the week is New Orleans. I think everybody doubted the Saints a little bit because obviously going from Drew Brees to Jameis Winston, I think your expectations change for the Saints a little bit. And of course, you're thinking Aaron Rodgers' last dance kind of tour. He's motivated to have a great season coming off an MVP year. Packers getting to the NFC Championship. And the Saints absolutely took Green Bay to the woodshed. 38-3. to Jameis Winston throws five touchdowns despite only throwing 20 passes. Alvin Kamara runs for 20 carries for 83 yards, including a touchdown reception. Aaron Rodgers has the worst game of his NFL career, 133 yards, two interceptions. So I'll say this. I think we underestimated the Saints defense. Saints defense is still really good. Um, It's the unit that's kind of been held together. Now, they have had some injuries, especially to Marshawn Lattimore, that I think could hurt them going forward. But for right now, it is only one game. But if Sean Payne's going to have that efficiency with Jameis Winston, who doesn't have to throw for 500 yards like he did in Tampa Bay, all he's got to do is kind of play that game manager role. Be efficient with the football, not give it away, 
let Alvin Kamara work in the running game. You saw even Tony Jones Jr. do a good job running the football, 11 carries for 50 yards in the role he had. But Jameis has to get the ball to the playmakers. There's immediately not a lot of iconic playmakers in the Saints offense without Michael Thomas, but a long touchdown for Deontay Harris. Juwan Johnson had two touchdowns at the tight end position. New Orleans can make this work. I don't think they're going to win the South. They still think Tampa Bay is better. They're a more cohesive unit right now, but for the Saints to make that kind of statement, coming off of where they couldn't play at home due to Hurricane Ida, to play in Jacksonville, they were displaced, had a practice all over the place. And against a Packer team that you thought seemed really motivated, that's a big game. I'm not going to be concerned about the Packers. I know people talked about all the distractions from the offseason and how the Packers weren't prepared. And I think that's more of an indictment on the head coach, LaFleur, than on Rodgers, although you could put a lot of it on Rodgers too. If you're not going to show up to OTAs and you're not going to show up to at least a couple days in training camp and mini camps because you're you're talking about not feeling wanted in Green Bay, you got to come out and play better. But the Packers also have lost some guys in the offensive line. Lindsey's gone. Bakhtiari's on the IR. So they couldn't get that running game going with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. And the Packers need balance. They need to have a good mix of run and pass to get the play action working, to get Rodgers to throw the ball downfield with Devontae Adams and Valdez Scantling and Randall Cobb. Look, the whole NFC North lost in week one. The Packers are going to be fine. They're going to win the North. They're going to get into the postseason. But it's odd to have a week one stinker the way they did. So no panic long term. So I think they're going to be fine. Short term, though, you can have this kind of a game in a playoff-style atmosphere. You're kind of in trouble that way. So Green Bay has time to fix it, but that was a rough week one. So New Orleans is a big winner for me. The second big winner, I'm going to go with Pittsburgh. A lot of junk was thrown at Ben Roethlisberger. They can't play anymore, that he's not the same quarterback he once was, and he's not but that he was basically a guy that Pittsburgh needed to move on from. He's not good. He's the fourth best quarterback in the AFC North behind Lamar, Baker Mayfield, and Joe Burrow. But Pittsburgh, to me, was a winner in this game because they were able to win without getting an A game from their offense. Najee Harris only ran for 45 yards in his debut on 16 carries. It was an ugly football game to the point where if you're watching Red Zone, they didn't really show much of Steelers' bills in the first half where Andrew Siciliano, at least from what I was watching, was like, We'd show you this, but there's really nothing going on. The Bills do something stupid, go in front of the fourth and one. They throw a, a lateral pass and lose five yards. But for Pittsburgh, it's all about finding, like we talked about the Packers, about finding a balance between run and pass. And now that at least the Steelers can have 32 passes, 16 and 21 carries on the ground, not counting the four carries. From, if you take away the four carries from Roethlisberger, it's 17. But at least there's more of a... You're not asking Ben to throw the ball 50 times. And it allows Roethlisberger to get the balancing act to Juju Smith-Schuster, to Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson. And for Pittsburgh in the second half, to play like a more cohesive unit, they had 17 points in the fourth quarter. Down 10-6, to Ben throws the touchdown to Johnson to begin the fourth. Then you had the block punt for a touchdown. There was a lot better chemistry from the Steelers. And they kind of made their own statement in a way where I don't know if you still consider them like a favorite to win the AFC North or anything, considering the way Cleveland played well in a loss at Kansas City. 
I think people still believe in the Ravens, although I did tell you Vegas was going to win that football game, and they did win in crazy fashion overtime, but there are issues with the Ravens. I don't know if Pittsburgh's a North favorite yet, but I do think they're in the mix for a wild card. They've got a great defense. TJ Watt off that new contract gets a forced fumble. And there are issues with the Bills. No Zach Moss was inactive for this game, and the Bills did get a decent game from Devin Singletary, but they only ran the ball 11 times with Singletary. Josh Allen had 51 pass attempts. I know Josh Allen has taken leaps and bounds as a quarterback, and people are talking as an MVP candidate, but Buffalo needs more of a balance. You can't ask Josh Allen to throw the ball 50 times against that Seawers defense, or he'll get sacked three times. So Buffalo needs to find a better mix. I'm not panicking in the Bills. still think they're the favorite in the AFC East, but it does give more hope to a team like Miami, who got a big win in New England who actually the Dolphins host this week. And we'll talk about that on the next show about how big that game is. But to me, the Steelers, maybe not a Super Bowl contender. I'm not going to go that far, but I think a playoff contender. And my third winner, I'm going to go to Arizona. The Cardinals, very impressed against Tennessee. Their defense with five sacks by Chandler Jones. Uh, Kyler Murray throws for four touchdown passes, two to DeAndre Hopkins, two to Christian Kirk. Tennessee was never in this football game. Cardinals had a twenty at a 24-6 lead at the break. It looked like Tennessee was going to find a way with a third-quarter touchdown to get back in that game with Tannehill going to A.J. Brown, but Julio Jones was a non-factor. In fact, in fact Mike Rabel called him out for a personal foul penalty. Just a mess in Tennessee. But Arizona, we, NFC West, I do believe all four teams are going to finish with a winning record. And Arizona going on the road west to east, and we saw also Seattle do this, go into an East Coast time zone and win a game on the road in week one and that's not easy to do so props to Arizona that offense looks explosive and I thought you saw more of an effort to run the football last year remember it was just Kyler Murray basically either running it or throwing it Chase Edmonds and James Conner combined for 28 carries Murray had 32 pass attempts so Arizona had a really good mix going and that can win you football games easily so while Cliff Kingsbury had some issues in the red zone early on, there was a lot of penalties, and I thought that kind of disrupted their rhythm early, but when you have DeAndre Hopkins, it, it helps. And Kirk's developing as a good second option. You've got Rondell Moore there. There's a lot of good balance that the Cardinals are seemingly finding, and I think Tennessee was a huge disappointment. And I'm saying that as somebody who started Ryan Tannehill last week. I, I think Tennessee will bounce back, but Arizona's a big winner for me. The big losers of the week... I have the Green Bay's one. We already talked about them. I'm going to go to Jacksonville. Urban Meyer already getting uh, questions about, is he going to want to take the USC coaching job? And we'll touch on USC in the next segment. But the Texans absolutely dominated this game with a 27-7 lead at the half. Tyrod Taylor's hitting shots down the field to Brandon Cooks. And if you're the Jaguars, James Robinson did nothing because really they didn't get him involved. And asking Trevor Lawrence to continually throw the football in his rookie debut. And he had good moments. He had three touchdowns but three interceptions. And now we have to see how Trevor Lawrence responds after really his first bad game since high school. I mean, think about it. How many real bad games did Trevor Lawrence have at Clemson? Not really. I mean, even in a bad game, he would have good moments. Think back to the uh, playoff game against Ohio State. So what does Trevor Lawrence go? Where does he go from here? Where does Orr Meyer go from here? Jacksonville's got problems in the offensive line, and their defense has a lot of holes that the Texans absolutely exploited. 
to the point where Mark Ingram's running for nearly 100 yards, and Mark Ingram was a non-factor with the Ravens last season. We mentioned the long downfield passes in this game, both to Farrell Brown and Brandon Cook. So the Texans, I thought this was a game they could win because, quite frankly, when else are we going to pick Houston to win a game this season? I did pick Jacksonville, though, so I did get that one wrong. And maybe the Jaguars were worse than we thought as a, a team that had a lot of optimism going in. So that's my other loser for this week. And my third loser of the week... I am going to go to Baltimore. Uh, I put the Ravens on here because I think one of the things we were looking to see was the Ravens' balanced offensive attack with their running game in shambles. Tyson Williams got the bulk of the carries up until the fourth quarter, but they they brought in Latavius Murray. They're going to bring in Devontae Freeman off the practice squad this week. They're still Le'Veon Bell in the practice squad. But can Lamar Jackson get the ball downfield? I mean, that was a big key in this game. And the Ravens, to their credit, did put 27 points on the board. Lamar Jackson did throw for a touchdown, didn't throw an interception, but had the big fumble in overtime. And you've got to hang on to the football if you're Lamar Jackson, especially if the offense is now going to revolve around you, where not only you are throwing the ball, but you are basically providing the bulk of the rushing yards. He led the team in rushing, 12 carries for 86 yards. In fact, led the whole game in rushing. So the Ravens... Going now to play the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football, where Lamar Jackson is 30-5 and against teams not named Kansas City, and he's 0-3 against the Chiefs. So the Ravens are staring 0-2 almost directly in the face. But the bigger issue for Baltimore is not their offense, it's their defense. Derek Carr threw for 435 yards and two touchdowns between the game winner. They allowed Darren Waller, who's a great tight end, to have 10 catches for a buck 05 and a score. So the Ravens without Marcus Peters, who's out for the year of the torn ACL, that secondary is going to be under more of a microscope against some of these good quarterbacks. And Derek Carr, a very underrated quarterback. I think he still has some game in him. He's, I think he's a solid player. He's a guy you want in your locker room. And yes, Vegas does lose Marcus Mariota for a little bit, and that's going to hurt maybe having a different wrinkle in their offense. But right now, considering Vegas doesn't really have a lot of playmakers to win that game when Josh Jacobs is banged up, and Jacobs had two touchdowns, but he's still battling some injuries. He got a good amount from Kenny on Drake in the passing game. I mean, not so much running the football, but Drake's going to be a good pass catching back for this Vegas offense. Brian Edwards maybe is going to start to emerge. I don't think the Raiders are a playoff team. I, I do think that was a really good win and a good atmosphere in Vegas. So Vegas needed that game. Baltimore, though, huge loser in this game. Before their injuries, a lot of people thought Baltimore would roll over Vegas. I disagree. And the Ravens do have at least somewhat of a favorable schedule to begin the season after this week where 0-2 is not going to be a big deal for them if they do lose. Uh, But Baltimore getting a loss and Lamar looking pretty good, but we still have to see if this is some long-term success for Jackson out of the passing game. Some other games that stood out. uh, I mentioned the Bills losing to Pittsburgh. Uh, Jalen Hurts, very impressive against the Falcons. 27-35, 264, three touchdowns. I don't know if the Eagles are for real, but they looked really good. They're going to have a tough test this week against the Niners, who led Detroit 41-17 before the Lions tried to make an epic comeback out of it. But Philly, very impressed with their defense in this game. And Jalen Hurts looked very comfortable on offense, running the football, had a good throw to Dallas Goddard on the run. Devontae Smith looked good with the chemistry in his first game with his former Alabama quarterback. So Philly... Very impressive. I mentioned how good Seattle was. Four touchdowns for Russell Wilson. Chris Carson runs for nearly 100. Very impressed with Seattle going on the road in the Colts. Offensive line issues. Carson Wentz got hit a ton. Can't afford to have that happen. And he's known for its good offensive line play. We mentioned LA beating Washington. I thought Sam Darnold 
the Panthers weren't that impressive. I, I've seen people give a lot of credit to Carolina, but they had a fourth and one botch snap. They let the Jets back in it in the second half with Zach Wilson throwing two touchdowns. And I'll give Wilson credit for bouncing back. Two touchdowns, both to Corey Davis. And really, Christian McCaffrey did everything on this, this uh, Panthers offense. He touched the ball a total of 30 times for about 187 yards. Darnold had to have the one long touchdown to Robbie Anderson, but Carolina, I felt, should have dominated that game a little bit more than they did. So while it's a good win for them, I came away more encouraged by Zach Wilson and Jets, who are going to be a bad football team, but Wilson growing as that game went along was a good thing. Again, you look at this Chiefs-Browns game, and it's all about Patrick Mahomes. Cleveland was impressive through three and a half quarters. They led 29-20. to And I think for me, when you look at the Browns and look at the way they played the game, they really got hurt by the deep ball from Mahomes to Tyreek Hill, 75 yards. Then they dropped the punt, give the Chiefs a short field, Mahomes throws to Kelsey, and then the Baker Mayfield interception at the end where he's trying to throw the ball away. But if you're Cleveland, your last two games against Kansas City, you've had a chance to win both games. You didn't have Odell Beckham Jr. here. So for the Browns, it's a moral victory for them. But when the Chiefs are down 10 in the fourth quarter, you kind of know Patrick Mahomes is... It's kind of like... I've always related the Chiefs to this. It's kind of like when you watch the Patriots their dynasty years, and you just had a feeling Tom Brady was going to come back and win. Even if the Chiefs get down 10 in the fourth quarter, you just know Patrick Mahomes is going to come back. He's been that good. So the Chiefs had some issues, but they found a way to get a win. That's very important. I was very impressed with Mac Jones for the Patriots. 29 of 39 for 281 with a touchdown. He got hit a lot. And, and really for this Patriots team, I'm encouraged by Mac Jones, but discouraged by the rest of the team. Bad penalties. Matt Judon took a horrible unnecessary roughness on a punt that gave New England a worse field than they would have had. Holding penalties on big pass plays. Damian Harris with a fumble. Ramondre Stevenson with a fumble that gave the ball, especially Harris's fumble late, which he had a lot of carries in that game. Patriots need to maybe mix in some J.J. Taylor. Need to mix in some James White just to give Harris a breather, but a bad fumble that would have given New England the lead in the fourth quarter. Patriots did not play like a typical Patriot football team. And it's kind of gone overshadowed because of how good Mac Jones was. But I think as a Patriots fan, if you're out there, you're going to be disappointed, and you should be. You lost a home game to a division rival that can cost you a playoff spot later in the year. And yes, it's only week one. Maybe you shouldn't be talking about playoffs yet, but that's one that's going to stick with you because the Dolphins weren't really that good. The Dolphins did have the early touchdown in the first quarter on the three-yard run by Tua. They had this good drive out of the start of the second half with a touchdown to Jalen Waddell, but Tua made some bad passes. Miami's offense didn't really have that chemistry we're looking for, and we'll see if that improves when Will Fuller comes back this week. But Miami's defense did get those two fumble recoveries, and that's huge. But I didn't come away that impressed with Miami. Great road win, but it's not something that stands out as all the Dolphins are for real. I thought New England gave that game away more than Miami won it. We talked about Denver over the Giants. Matthew Stafford, very impressive in his win over the ramp, over the Bears. 321 yards, three touchdowns, the downfield passes to Cooper Cup and Van Jefferson. Bears tried to put Justin Fields in a little bit. He did get a touchdown, but I want to see Justin Fields play. I know that won't happen this week. Andy Dalton, I guess, needs to get his revenge game against the Bengals, but uh, rough times for the Chicago Bears. And finally, uh, Joe Burrow, two touchdowns for the Bengals, one long one to Jamar Chase. In the second quarter, right before the half, Vikings did rally from 10 points down to force overtime, but the Bengals winning it in the last play of overtime and the field goal by McPherson. 
good win for Cincinnati and it was a very entertaining game and it was a good impressive return to the lineup for Burrow. So that's my takeaways from week one. Again, on our next show, we will give you my top five games of week two. We will also play Word Association, and we will do that with a special guest. Uh, Daniel Wade, who is one of the hosts of Locked On Chargers, will join the show. Uh, we will talk about the upcoming matchup between the Cowboys and Chargers. We'll go more in-depth into L.A.'s week one win over the football team. And he will be our first Word Association guest for the season. So we'll have a lot of fun previewing the games for week two. Coming up next, we will get into college football and the mess at USC and why the, I'm not really sure that this was the right time to fire a head coach when you're trying to relive your glory days. You're listening to Kicking with Keor here on Full Press Radio. Some college football talk coming up after the break. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We move from the pros to college here on this segment of Kicking with Keeler. And the big story this week in college football is the change in head coach at USC. Uh, on Tuesday, Clay, well, on Monday, Clay Helton fired by athletic director Mike Bone. This coming two days after USC lost in embarrassing fashion to Stanford at home, 42-28. I caught some of that game late Saturday night on Fox. And here are my thoughts on the USC situation. And I understand that Clay Helton didn't do a lot of significant winning while he was the coach. He did go 46-24, and won the Rose Bowl in 2016, I don't have any necessarily criticism of Clay Helton. My criticism necessarily is more with the USC program. And if you're Mike Bowen, the athletic director, why did two games really make a factor in you getting rid of the coach? If you were not sold on Clay Helton, why did you bring him back? I mean, USC had a decent year in a short season last year due to the pandemic. They got to the Pac-12 championship game, lost to Oregon. But... If you weren't sold on him last year and not sold enough to get rid of him after two games, why was he back in the first place? You could have had a different coaching search this year. And, and look, USC is not going to hire any big name, at least between now and the end of the season. It sounds like right now Dante Williams uh, is their interim head coach. He was their cornerbacks coach, uh, defensive pass game coordinator. One was their associated head coach uh, this year for the Helton firing. And this has been an issue with a lot of schools that, a lot of big-name schools. We've seen it at Tennessee. We've seen it at Texas. We've seen it at Michigan. We've seen it in Nebraska. When you try to relive your glory years, things can go wrong. Matt Liner's not walking through that door. Reggie Bush is not walking through that door. Wendell White, Dwayne Jarrett, 
um, Carson Palmer. Like the USC is not reliving the Pete Carroll days. When you try to relive the Pete Carroll days, that's when you lead to mistakes in head coaching hires. Because USC is not the class of the Pac-12 as of right now. It's Oregon. Like, if you watch the way Oregon played against Ohio State and the way C.J. Verdell's ran all over the Buckeyes, 20 carries for a buck, 61, and two touchdowns, for Oregon to get that win in Columbus was huge. And who knows, maybe that played a factor in this decision, seeing the success Oregon has been having, uh, seeing before recent years the success Stanford has had with David Shaw. Uh, Washington, although they lost to Montana and then did not look it against Michigan, but you've seen before Chris Peterson left how the success Washington was having. And the USC wants to be that premier team in Los Angeles. What also hurts them now is there's two NFL teams there. USC is not the focal point of attention in Southern California. As Pete Carroll made them. You're not going to find another Pete Carroll if you're USC. You can find a good name. You can find a, a really big name to maybe take this job, but... Whoever takes that USC job going forward has to be a guy that can recruit and keep the athletes in California. We've seen, I've seen the point all week where Alabama's got a quarterback from California. Clemson's got a quarterback from California. Ohio State's got a quarterback from California. And while Keaton Slowis is no, no slouch at quarterback, and I think fans look at the other schools in the South stealing or recruiting kids from California and taking them away from their home and, and having them play in the South. That's an issue. But USC needs to look itself in the mirror and say, okay, how do we get to be a winning program now, not be a winning program 20 years ago? We've seen Texas kind of struggle with this, and I think Sarkeesian will bounce back. We'll have, we'll have a much better tenure than Tom Herman did. Jim Harbaugh not being able to win big games at Michigan. Scott Frost struggled at Nebraska. Tennessee has never been able to replace Philip Fulmer. They've been a mess. How do you keep that stability in the program while also doing your share of winning? Now, USC could go big name for this job. They could go see if James Franklin from Penn State's interested, Matt Campbell from Iowa State, Luke Fickle from Cincinnati, who would be a real interesting candidate because Fickle would get a chance at a big name program. And he's he established Cincinnati as a top group of five school. Um, another name, I, there are a couple of names I like that I think would make sense. Uh, one, I don't think he will take the job, but it's Oregon's coach, Mario Cristobal, who's done a really good job recruiting out in Oregon. Uh, he's been doing a good job recruiting in California specifically, and Cristobal knows how to win in the Pac-12. We've seen him at least bring Oregon back, maybe not to where it was with Chip Kelly, but Oregon is at least a consistent winning program. And if you could take Cristobal out of the conference, you try to do it. I don't think it'll happen. Another one who's... I think be, if you go the NFL route, Eric Bieniemy would be a really good fit. I think you need an offensive mind. Uh, Jeff Bone, the the well, not Jeff well, Bone, the USC athletic director, hired Bianami as his OC when he was with Colorado in 2010. So there is familiarity there, and it's been a while since Eric, Eric Bianami deserves a coaching job. Maybe it'd be best for him to go to college and be a head coach. People like playing for him. Everybody be rooting for him. I think that would be a really good fit. The third fit, I don't know if he would be. See, you kind of need a guy that has the experience in the Pac-12. I saw Colin Coward say this week, Chris Peterson, if they can get him out of retirement. And Peterson's right now working with Washington. Would he do it? I don't know. Would Bob Stoop step away from Fox 
to coach? I don't think so. I mean, the home run hire would be Urban Meyer. But I don't think he's leaving after one season in the NFL. Unless it went absolutely wrong in Jacksonville, I don't think Urban Meyer's leaving. The other intriguing candidate would be if you wanted to be on the map, and I, I thought Joe Clapper had a good point with Colin Coward on the herd this week. What about Deion Sanders at Jackson State? Players want to play for Dion. Maybe get Dion some um, head co- experience coordinators. And have Dion Sanders kind of be the face of that program, essentially. The other fun hire, we mentioned offensive coordinators, Joe Brady. You saw the success Joe Brady had at LSU. Joe Brady coaching under Ed Orgeron. You've seen Joe Brady now as the OC in Carolina. I mean, maybe they bring Joe Brady in. Well, I think USC needs, they need an offensive-minded coach. It's going to be a, have creativity on offense and mix in with strong defense and strong recruiting. You can get the recruiting to where it once was where everybody wanted to go to USC. You've got it made. But you also now have to consider the success UCLA is having. Chip Kelly's got him at number 13 in the country right now after two weeks. And UCLA's looked really good in those two games. So maybe UCLA's starting to reemerge again, and that could play a factor. Maybe that the UCLA emerging while USC seemingly regressed. But again, I think two games is too early to make a coaching decision. Nevertheless, they did. Uh, so we'll see where USC goes from there. We talk about Oregon's big win of Ohio State. Uh, Iowa gets a big road win in Iowa State. Just another sloppy game by the Cyclones. Three picks for Brock Purdy. Iowa doing a good job getting a defensive touchdown with Jack Campbell. Gets a six-yard fumble recovery. Tyler Goodson did a good job running the football. 21 carries, including a touchdown, even though only at 55 yards. But for Iowa, we mentioned that schedule gets a lot easier. We could be talking about Iowa in November with a legitimate playoff contender after that win as they've moved up into the top five. Uh, Arkansas absolutely demolishes Texas. Big win for Sam Pittman in that program. Razorbacks are now a top 20 team. We saw BYU beat Utah. And if you're looking for an, an interesting group of five, remember BYU is going to join the Big 12. Maybe they're riding high off that momentum. They've beaten two straight Pac-12 teams. And they got a big game coming up Saturday night uh, against Arizona State at uh, 10, 15 Eastern. Kind of not Pac-12 after dark, but a really fun game uh, going on there where BYU could start 3-0 in their schedule. They don't play another ranked team after the after this game as of right now and they end the year at USC. So uh, BYU's got a good opportunity here. Notre Dame barely squeaks by Toledo, but Notre Dame gets a win. Texas A&M, rough game for them with their freshman quarterback, Haynes King, getting hurt, but A&M got a big road win at Colorado to stay undefeated. And Miami squeaks by Appalachian State. Maybe an Alabama hangover in a sense, uh, but those are the interesting games for week two. Uh, coming up on our next show, we will preview week three, and our student section showdown continues. Uh, Ryan Haley, who is the student uh, sports editor for the Florida student newspaper, The Alligator, will join me. Uh, we're going to look ahead to Alabama, Florida, coming up Saturday afternoon, 3.30, CBS from the Swamp. That's going to be a really fun game. Get some insight on really the first big game for Dan Mullen in Florida this season, their quarterback situation. Uh, using two quarterbacks, how exactly that, how exactly is that going to work against a Nick Saban defense? Um, and we'll dive into that. So we're again we're trying to do student section showdown every week during the college football season. I'll definitely take your suggestions for week four. We have some good games on the board there, including Notre Dame, Wisconsin. Uh, well, week five I should say right now. No, it's week four. 
week for week four, it's either Texas A&M and Arkansas, uh, Notre Dame at Wisconsin at Soldier Fields, or it's the third game I was looking at on this schedule here that was interesting. Uh, no, I think it's just those two games. So Notre Dame at Wisconsin or Texas A&M at Arkansas. The games are going to specifically look at uh, for student, sec- student section showdown next week. So we're going to wrap up the show coming up with a little baseball, including why I think Shohei Otani is not the consensus American League MVP. You're listening to Kicking with Kior here on Full Press Radio. We will wrap up the show after a short break. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wrapping up episode 94 of Kicking with Keeler. Reminder that episode 95 will either be out Friday night or Saturday morning. It'll be a football preview episode, week two, word association with our special guests from Locked on Chargers and also Ryan Haley, the student sports editor for Florida Student Newspaper, will join me to preview Alabama, Florida. So that will come up on our next show. Quickly, some items to look at, especially the U.S. Open, huge in tennis. Um, Raducanu winning the women's singles title over Layla Fernandez, a good battle of teenagers there. Raducanu qualified, who did not lose a set the entire tournament. Very impressive performance by her. And Novak Djokovic's quest to be the first player to win the calendar slam since 1969 comes to a crashing halt. Uh, Daniil Medvedev winning in straight sets. Medvedev, who's been great on hard courts, gets his first slam. So Djokovic's quest uh, comes to an abrupt halt. But still an impressive run in majors for him this season. Three slams, a goal of uh, making it to the semifinals of the Tokyo Olympics tournament, and then getting to the final in the U.S. Open. Uh, very impressive. So I wanted to wrap it up with a little baseball. Uh, first off, uh, great job. I mentioned it in the show last week. Uh, the pregame ceremonies on September 11th for the Yankee-Met game were absolutely fantastic. Um, props to Fox for donating. Uh, was a million dollars to Tunnel the Towers, um, which is a, a great foundation here locally to support um, the victims from 9-11. So really fantastic job by Fox. And whoever put together the Yankee-Met pregame ceremonies was um, real emotional to watch. And uh, like I said, you'll remember that off the pregame more than remember the game itself, although you had the allegations of whistling from Wandy Peralta from the Yankees, which led to the home runs. And we'll, we'll touch on that maybe on our next show, but... Uh, I was really interested to see what was happening there, and I, did, and I thought it was a great job. You mentioned how the pennant races are heating up. The NL West is still up for grabs. Both AL and the NL Wild Card still up for grabs. The NL East is still somewhat up for grabs, though I would say it's a two-team race uh, right now. But most of the division seemingly over. Uh, Milwaukee's got a magic number of five. The White Sox, magic number of seven. Rays, magic number of nine. So... Getting about that clinching point of the season, about two weeks left in the regular season. And we're going to give a breakdown on the pennant races and what to watch for it on the next show. Uh, so I wanted to keep that in mind because normally we look at the week that was. We didn't really get a chance to this week. Um, so we will leave it and kind of give you a weekend look and the week to come in the next show. So this was a, something I wanted to bring up this week because I've seen 
there's that two team race between two player race for AL MVP between Shohei Otani and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And a lot of people are going to want to give the award to Otani, who's had a, de- who's had a really a decent year pitching and has had a good year offensively. And the argument a lot of people will give is Shohei Otani should win the award hands down because he's been able to do both hitting and pitching extremely well. His war is about 7.6 when you combine his offense and his pitching, according to baseball reference. Um, he has been really the marquee player to watch in all baseball. He's been a really good representation of the sport. Uh, you look at his season as a whole, and I'm using this as of Thursday afternoon, so keep that in mind as I read. look at the stats here. Otani, hitting-wise... Has 44 home runs, being 254, 94 RBIs, 23 stolen bases. On the mound, 9-2, a 3.36 ERA, over 115 in the third innings. He has struck out 136. It does not sound like Otani's going to pitch the rest of the season. Uh, we'll miss his scheduled start Friday. Uh, does not. I don't, I don't think he'll pitch the rest of the way, but you never know. Great season. But when you look at MVP, to me it's the most valuable player. You want to give the award to most outstanding player? No doubt it's Otani, and it's not even close when you go to that. But here is where I would give the award to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. The argument you can use against it is you go off of baseball references war. He doesn't even have the best war in his own team. That's Marcus Simeon at 6.7. Vlad's at 6.2. Although Simeon, I think, gets a boost because his defense is pretty good at shortstop. But Vlad's hitting 317, leads the league. 406 on base, leads the league. 611 slugging, leads the league. Leads the league in OPS with about uh, 1.017. Leads the league in hits. Leads the league in runs scored. Leads the league in home runs with 45. We're now tied as Sal Perez in his 45th of the season. RBIs. As of right now, he's about eight eight or nine off the list from Perez. I don't think he's going to catch him, although you never know with two weeks left. My argument would be that Vlad Guerrero Jr., who's had a tremendous year, you think about the, all the weight he lost in the offseason, playing first base has been not a, not a liability at first base for the Blue Jays. He hasn't been a gold glove award winner, but he hasn't been terrible. To me, he's the MVP. Because the Blue Jays are looking like they're going to make the playoffs. They dominated the Yankees last week, swept them out of the Bronx. They're playing, they dominated the Orioles. They're basically going to play the Twins and the Orioles for the latter part portion of the season, with the exception of a series in Tampa and a series at home against the Yankees. So Toronto should at least be in that wild card game one way or another. The fact that the Blue Jays are going to go back to the postseason, you could argue, yes, it could be because Robbie Ray is pitching like a Cy Young candidate. It could be where. The offense is heated up with Simeon having a good year. Boba has been hitting the ball well. But you can also argue George Springer's missed a lot of this year. But when you look at a guy in Vlad Jr. who leads in almost every offensive category. Every single one. You want to move the conversation over. You want to say, yes, Otani's pitching. But again, I the only time I give an MVP or a Cy Young to a player not in a playoff team is usually when the numbers are so far out of reach that you have you just give it to the best player, you take the playoffs out of it, right? 
You saw it when Harper won his MVP with the Nationals. It was three finalists that did not make the playoffs. Harper had the much better year. He would get the award, obviously. But I saw a good tweet by, I think it was a good baseball reporter of the Dominican Republic, Hector Gomez, who tweeted, if we're going to award, award things in July, as people basically handed the MVP to Otani in July, then Jacob deGrom should win Cy Young because deGrom hasn't pitched. His numbers haven't changed, though. You can't go off that premise and decide the award with two weeks left in the season when Vlad Jr. is going to be fighting for a playoff spot and maybe could win it or get close to a triple crown. And Otani's playing meaningless games. There is a value to playing games that count and games that matter. The Angels are a 500 to under 500 team. If it's about the outstanding player, then yeah, Otani definitely gets it. But to me, if you're rewarding the overall factor to your team, you take Shohei Otani off the Angels, they're still bad. Otani saves them from being a laughingstock because the Angels haven't had Mike Trout most of the season. But what Vlad Jr. does is gave them a power bat and has improved at first base. To me, I think that's more of a, I'm giving this more as a reward for making the postseason. Like, the NL Cy Young is likely going to go to one of the Dodgers, I think, between Scher, probably Max Scherzer, although Corbin Burns has a good chance in Milwaukee. But at least both those guys are on playoff teams. AL, Garrett Cole, or Robbie Ray, I think. Both those guys are playoff teams or competing for a playoff spot. Right? So why are we going to give the AL MVP? And the NL MVP is going to be interesting as well because I don't really know who's going to win NL MVP at this point. But when you have Otani versus Guerrero, I think it's close, and I think Guerrero is Guerrero to me is the favorite. It's not a landslide. I'm not. I'm saying it's really close. You ask me though to put my vote today, it goes to Vlad. And I got to give a lot of credit to Toronto. Charlie Montoyo's done a really good job with this group to get the near playoff spot. And to me, with that schedule coming up, I know you don't play to the schedule, just ask Cincinnati Reds who are dealing with that same problem. So they seemingly can't beat the Pittsburgh Pirates, although uh, today they did one to nothing. And you've got, um, as we do the show, the Padres beating the Giants, so that'll help with the wild card picture, which again, we'll sort out in the last show what the playoff picture looks like, because I mentioned a show or two ago, September 19th was really going to be the next checkpoint, because with all the division teams playing each other, and I think Oakland and Seattle are close to playing their way out of it. Where I think eventually it will be between Toronto, the Yankees, and the Red Sox. Three teams with two spots. Which is going to make the next week so much fun. The next two weeks so much fun. Because there's no expanded playoffs this year. There's no one versus eight, two versus seven. And I, I wish that format was still around. But at the same time, it would limit the playoff races necessarily. Because you would take your second place team in the AOS would get in. Although, if we played that out, let's say, you would have Oakland and Seattle fighting for a playoff spot. The A's a half game ahead of Seattle. You would have the Tigers being three games behind Cleveland. Or three in the loss combine Cleveland. You have the Tigers fighting for a playoff spot. And again, at least the Mets would be in it over with the Phillies. You would have a case in which... If you're going off with the best third-place teams, Cincinnati would be a game ahead of San Diego, although they're both competing in the wild card. So, I like the expansive format, but I think as long as it's this way, I think it's interesting because, again, 
both the, all the, those three teams in the American League are going to be so much fun to watch, and they're going to play each other. They're going to knock each other around. And Oakland and Seattle are going to play each other seven times. They're going to knock each other around, which where the carnage ends up, we're going to find out. So thanks for all, thanks to all of you for tuning in this week. We are nearing a great milestone on the show, and we'll reveal that milestone when it comes up. But I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I want to remind you, you can follow me on Twitter at Rickinator555. It's at R-I-C-K, letter I, Nader, Lincoln, Terminator, and three fives. Follow us on Twitter at FP underscore coverage and at Full Press Radio. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You'll reach your podcast. Just search Kicking with Q or chances are you will find it. I want to hear your feedback. What do you like? What you don't like? You can email me, rickjkeeler at gmail.com. Remember to download the, the Full Press Couch app on your iOS or Android device. It's free uh, and has all of our articles, podcasts, live shows, everything you get your hands on. Um, so if you miss any part of this show, feel free to go back and listen to it. Uh, you can catch my other work, pitchsideprospects.com, where we cover the Yankees minor league system as that season comes to a close. And my work at Barrett Sports Media did an awesome article on Wednesday uh, about, um, I believe that article was about, it was about Joe Buck talking about uh, how John Smoltz and Troy Aikman kind of help him deal with a crazy October schedule where he does both the MLB postseason and the NFL Thursday night packages right now. So um, really good article there with Rich Eisen's Catch Rich Eisen's podcast. Very good, by the way. Um, and we'll have a good article coming out on Bears Sports Media tomorrow, I shall tell you about. So from all of us at Full Press Coverage, I'm Ricky Keeler saying enjoy Thursday night football. We will recap it on our next show. We will play Week 2 Word Association in the NFL and look ahead to a good week in college football. So until then, enjoy the night, everybody. I'll see you back here next time. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.